You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Agile CTO. Today we've got just me as the host. Unfortunately, the rest of the guys have come down with uh, excuses. I mean, illnesses. Uh, Alan, which is quite interesting, we had a chili eating challenge the other day in the office, and uh, he's been uh, kind of knocked out by this. I think he ate a few super hot chilies to kind of impress some of the guys in the office, and uh, didn't end too well for him. And Harley's off field today, so apologies. You've all just got me today. But today in studio, we've got Brendan McEnroe, an incredibly busy guy, and uh, just to give you a bit of background, currently he's got his finger in three major things right now. One of them is Digital Tui, he's a founder of that organization, co-founder of Block Zero, and currently full-time CTO of Trade Window. Uh, Brendan, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the listeners a bit about you? I'm Brendan McEnroe, and currently the, the CTO for Trade Window, which is uh, a blockchain company down here in New Zealand, and if people don't know that, some country on the southern hemisphere that people forget to put on the map, but we put it on yeah. the map. Uh, so, so through Trade Window, we're one of the first, uh, well, we are the first uh, New Zealand company, blockchain New Zealand company that's listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. So that, that's really quite exciting what we're doing down here in uh, New Zealand. Um, a little bit of background on myself. Um, yeah, I've been in the industry about 30 years. Um, right from support development working through architecture across a number of different uh, technologies and uh, um, sectors uh, right through to architecture and enterprise architecture in new zealand here in new zealand as well right and uh, how, how far back does your career go just out of interest yeah 30 years so. 30 years okay okay all right. Do you want to tell us a bit about Trade Window and some of the more specifics that, that Trade Window is involved with at the moment? Yeah. So tr- tr- Trade Window's involved in uh, we're, we're three years old. We're a startup, but going from startup to listed on the exchange is is pretty uh, rocket ship. Um, so we're uh, delivering uh, uh, international trade systems on the blockchain. So that's uh, been supporting. Uh, uh, exporters and importers and all the different parties uh, involved in between in international trade and uh, that that includes uh, uh, shipping lines insurance companies banks freight forwarders whoever's involved in that process and really speeding up the whole process of data and document exchange around that it's all secured on the uh, blockchain so that's really you know really quite uh, exciting to have that as part of our uh, as part of our uh, product set. Right, and I was going to say, um, you know, my, my limited experience with the blockchain kind of piques my interest in how technically this this works. And I don't know how technical you want to get with it. Maybe there's some IP in there you don't want to touch on, but is there is there a high-level sort of view on uh, what is the technology behind it? How does it sort of support businesses from a technical perspective? Yeah, and the first rule of blockchain is never mention blockchain. Uh, and and yeah, because sometimes it does blow away organizations when you're trying to 
sell that they, they associate with uh, Bitcoin and lots of illegal kind of activities. But the the awareness is now changing in organizations. They're starting to understand uh, some of the reasons behind it. And the, the main thing that blockchain brings is that immutability of transactions and the trust uh, between various organizations. And look, there, there is public blockchains out there and there's permission based. I think at the moment, for particularly for organizations, where there's and between organizations uh, working with each other in a, in a sector, if there's a level of trust. And this is where the permission blockchains are really kind of accelerating through in that space. Right. Okay. So it's, it's all about supply chain. It's all about uh, digital contracts and leveraging the blockchain to, to make sure that these, these contracts stay immutable and the trust factor can be improved. It's, it's an incredible space to be in, I can imagine. Oh, absolutely. Really exciting. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think uh, speaking from a South African context, it's, it's quite a slow adoption into sort of this blockchain world. Like we see the, we see the potential. We, we, we speak about it all the time. And, in how businesses and the world can leverage blockchain in different ways to, to, to improve their lives. But it's been very slow here. How do you feel about the, the market in New Zealand and in, the, in, and in fact other areas in which you work and operate? Um, I mean, um, you take it back a few years and like I was saying, organizations were very hesitant about it, but now they can see the value that brings. But you've also got to put the solution forward as uh, the, the, the value outcome that it brings and not just that it's a, a, a blockchain solution. There's many out there that uh, have got their blockchain and they're trying to solve uh, various different problems with it. And then that's that's almost like I've got a solution looking for a problem. So, uh, so you've really got to turn that around. It's just one of the building blocks, just like um, any other database, you won't go into and say, oh, yeah, I've got an Oracle or I've got MySQL data database in the back end. It's just one of the building blocks that helps with that immutability. Right, right. Okay, so let me take you back to through the stages of your career. I'd love to hear about this more specifics of your journey. So what was your first, your early career like? And, and, and sort of how did you end up with... Uh, with such high profile roles in currently, uh, concurrently three different companies? Yeah, I think I've had quite a grounding and working right from uh, support, actually looking after IT systems all the way through from development. That teaches you an awful lot. It teaches you what it's like to be on the receiving end of, of some of the systems. And then working through under some really great uh, mentors throughout the throughout the UK, and some great opportunities of projects to work on in the UK, like the uh, the National Programme for IT, the NHS uh, program there, huge program, a lot of learning, some really amazing people to learn from, uh, right through to working for consultancies and. Uh, uh, being uh, the enterprise architect in New Zealand, which was a really great Kiwi brand uh, in New Zealand. Uh, and then uh, coming through to uh, the startup that I'm in at the moment with uh, Trade Window and helping taking that from a small group of guys to uh, a company now with a presence in New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, and expanding through Asia Pac. Wow, okay. 
Um, how did you find the transition from a consultant role into the startup world, or, or was it pretty natural for you? Oh, I'm forever the forever uh, see these kinds of opportunities and uh, attracted to them right through my career. Always had little things that I've kind of latched onto, little startups, and not everything goes somewhere. Uh, but you've got to keep keep trying. Um, so yeah. Coming from Air New Zealand and then Tradeway, Trade Window approaching me to join, you know, this small group of guys in the startup, you know, it's a it's a different transition coming from a nice safe role, but also exciting, and that's what that's what attracted me. Right, and I guess it takes a special kind of person with sort of like a a, a, a lower than average risk aversion, right? So your brain is wired, obviously, for risk. Yeah, it does attract me. It really does. Um, uh, definitely a risk taker. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. So you were, obviously, your accent gives you away. You're not from New Zealand, uh, although there is a tinge in there. I can hear it coming through here and there, but but definitely not uh, a Kiwi from birth. So, so how did that transition happen? How did you go from um, deciding to you know, shift yourself over to New Zealand? Presumably, you're permanently based there and you live there. Yeah, permanent. I just recently got citizenship, so so that was uh, this. This is home. This is home now. But really, to that, um, to to the point of you know, just embracing opportunities. So it's just let's do something different in life. Let's just yeah, where where speaks English? That's going to be easier for us. Australia, a little bit too warm and too many spiders. Um, so let's try New Zealand. Never been here before, but. Let's do it. What's the worst that can happen? Now, you 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 spoke to me in the intro where we we did our introduction call prior to this recording. You spoke about your passion for for um, the process and and uh, giving people the space to to build and create great things. And this speaks directly to the name of our podcast, which is the Agile CTO, right? So if, if uh, it seems as though you are the embodiment of this based on that call, so I'd love to hear your your views on on the process of building something cool and and how effective you've seen that happen in your journey yeah look i really really um en enjoy the agile space and right from the early days of dsdm and seeing it grow over the years and and get getting stronger and getting adopted and really seeing seeing the, the value out of it but what i've done with the team i built around me at the moment is really as part of that agile space is is create this engineering excellence and that as it's about giving the team a little bit more responsibility to be able to grow themselves without having to make them into a manager you know, people get promoted into their management ranks and give up the skills that they're actually really good at and what I'm trying to encourage here through this, um, through the use of chapters, so embracing some of the uh, Spotify model, taking the taking the chapter approach, taking away the the kind of the not so nice bits, which is having to to manage, uh, pay and review, is in, is give some of my guys the opportunity within each of these chapters to be a chapter lead, to take on that responsibility of the chapter. 
Right, and before we before we continue, maybe we can just touch on that in a high level, to, just for those that the listeners that are not aware. What is the Spotify model, and how and how does that work high level? And the Spotify model is their interpretation of um, agile, and there's some some great concepts in that, and this is what they used internally. And then they've made that available to the public of what they found really useful. And a, a number of co- companies have uh, adopted it. There was parts of the Spotify model being used at uh, Air New Zealand. You could definitely see that. Uh, and look, you do it with any of these. It's a tool set. You take out the right tools that are useful. So we picked a few bits from the Spotify model. And the chapter is one of, one of the great tools in there. Right, right. And and sort of the way that they do it is they separate into into these elements, right? So you've got something like a squad, which is similar to a scrum team, a typical scrum team in Agile. And then uh, they, what do they call it? The tribes and then chapters. And I'm just looking at my notes next to me here. We've got guilds, trios and alliances, right? Okay, so this, these build on each other effectively, right? Into like a ladder or a pyramid. So we've, um, we did... Um, uh, really initiated a few gills down at Air New Zealand. But but with each of them you can within the Spotify model, as the organization grows and the development team grows, you can you can adopt parts of them. You don't have to adopt them all. Uh, otherwise you just end up um, doing the process and not actually doing the development. But the chapter one is particularly useful for what we're trying to uh, achieve at the moment. Um, so that you've got the different squads. And each of the squads could be working on a product because we've got a number of different products. But with inside them squads, you've got team members that are responsible for front end, ones that are responsible for back end. But what you don't want to do is lock them away into that product. So the guild is a great opportunity for them to be able to connect with their, with their like-minded peers that work in their space as well and give some of them team members as well, the opportunity to actually provide a bit of thought leadership. And, and this could be around what's the best way of doing APIs. So rather than it just come down from the top and say, this is our standards, this is what you're going to do, is actually encouraging the engineering teams to be able to create their own standards, get support from their uh, other members of that chapter that are in the back end, that are in the front end, and set that down as the company standard. Now, this this is what I call um, engineering excellence, and it's about creating uh, engineers that have a passion. And I always use the word passion with my guys. It's that's that's what I want to see, and you create that passion in somebody to really research, communicate that with the other team, team members create some of the standards and that that then can be uh, adopted. And that means it raises the, the quality um, across the teams and not just one squad gets the benefit of it. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. So our, our company, our parent company, Hayfully Software, we're, we're, we're a .NET consultancy. So we offer services in the Microsoft.NET space. And um, Agile talks about creating teams that are cross-functional, right, that are... Um, that are uh, able to to work in the spaces that are necessary in order to deliver value, right? Whatever that value is is defined, how it's defined is come is goes down to the product owners and the teams that you're that and the the, the, the people that are finding the product that you're building. Now, what we find difficult, right, is you've got let's call them chapters just for the the sake of context, um, where we've got specialists that are 
you know, .NET backend guys, C-sharp career guys, and, and heavily focused on, you know, best practice in C-sharp and architecture. And then we've got guys that are specialist in QA and automation and, and passionate about testing. And we've got guys that are passionate about front-end and all flavors of JavaScript and, you know, mobile development platforms and all the rest of it. So what I find, what we, I don't think we've wrapped our head around quite yet is, is how do we cross-functionalize these specialists in order to get them involved in, in all aspects of a solution in order to drive the best value. Have you guys come across a solution to this or is this, is this one way uh, that you're attempting it? Yeah, look, and, and that's um, uh, my next thing I'm driving, but it's not just across the technical team. So, so what we, the chapters is covered, is covering them team members that share that common skill set. But cross-functional teams with inside a squad needs to be much more than the, the PRs, much more than the testers, the front end, the back end. And I think the real kind of differentiator there is when you can actually bring the business as part of that. And that's truly cross-functional. So that's, that's cutting into, we've got value that's, going, that's coming out of the product. But how do we get the rest of the business to be a part of that so that when that's ready, the sales team, the customer success can actually um, uh, create that pull of product rather than just be a push out of engineering? Yeah. And and there's plenty of things we can do in the framework of of Agile. Let's not call it a framework. This is is poor language. Let me get this right. Okay. so, so, So Agile is a philosophy. The framework that you use doesn't matter, but if if you're following the principles of agile, it's very difficult to try and to try and convey that that need, that necessity of. Yes, we're building you a product, right? Let's say uh, you're you're working with one of your clients, you're building them a product. Yes, we're building your product, right? But it's not about throwing a requirement set over the fence and looking in at the end of every two weeks and seeing what was done. The best outcome is when you're sitting with the team, when you're in the weeds, when you're when you're working through the problems, and in fact, you are part of the delivery of your own product, right? And that's quite a difficult thing to sell, but but I think once you can embrace that mindset or that philosophy of the, the true purpose of Agile, which is to deliver valuable software really quickly and making sure that we're doing the right thing first, right? And, and if, if, if those first principles are being upheld, everybody's happy, the dev team's happy, the clients are happy, the feedback you receive is early and often, and you can change really quickly without worry, and nobody gets stressed out. Right? And this is the this is the heaven state, right? The holy grail. But unfortunately, we all live in the gray area between. Yeah, look, it, it, it's an interesting challenge. Um, I think it's agile is easier for uh, an engineering team to embrace. It is, and if anything, developers want to work in the agile space. They don't want to do it any other way because it, it's just so much easy and better for what they're trying to do than any other approach. I think the challenge is, is that cross-functional team in how you bring the business with that as well. And that could be that could be finance, that can be sales, it can be customer success. It, it's bringing them into that mindset to be able to deliver the value and help the team deliver that value. Yeah, and um, it's it's a constant battle, right? It's one of the biggest challenges I think in most of the teams that we work in is is bringing those guys close to the metal, right? Let's 
let's work with you, let's work with your teams, let's 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 get you right involved there, right? And I think the the, the typical or old school mindset would have been, well, no, you guys are a supplier, we're paying you, um, you know, expensive rates to do a professional service. We don't really want to be involved too much. We've given you what we want. We want you know build build the thing, get it out the door. Let us know when it's like when you're going to show us something. You know, there's a really important word you just said there, and it's want. And this is this is the difference. So we want, we want, we want. And it's actually, it's turning that around into need. It's want versus need. And 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 people, clients, customers will say, I want this, I want this. But when you kind of delve into it, then you can start to understand the need. And it's taking them on the journey so they become aware of what they need. So they set off on the journey going, want, want, want. And what we can give them is what they need, need, need. Yeah, uh, the other day I was actually on a, on a call with a potential client and, and it was an early stage conversation and uh, the client uh, laid out their need or their want and they threw a date when this needed to be done. So one of the first questions I asked them was like, okay, so who are we disappointing when we miss that deadline? Right. And um, one of the things I always tell potential clients and teams as well is that what you think you're building now is not what you're going to end up with at the end of it regardless what you think and how much research you do and how much effort you put into it now it's simply not what you need right and the only way you're going to know what you need uh, to use your words Brendan is 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 to go through the motions of discovery right and start hit the ground start building something start getting feedback from your users and refine it change it as you go keep going um, and the more rigid the mindset about the passionate want right the less likely it is that they're going to get what they need spot on yeah yeah it's it's a tricky balance i think especially as a consultant coming in from the outside yes yeah absolutely and look you know back to the 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 cross-functional teams what can we do to bring the the rest of the business to be a part of that and it is creating that uh creating that that pull model rather than a rather than a push model and, and to that, we've we've done we've put some things in place around encouraging lean canvas, which is shared at the exec level, and and also utilizing some of the Kanban at the exec level to start to get them familiar with some of the value that it can bring. So then, through lean canvases, which are driving uh, uh, big initiatives we can then start to articulate some of the value that that brings and focus on focus on the value. And then once we've got some commitment around that, then we can initiate projects. So it's, it's working in that space and it's a challenge. Uh, it's, it's winning the hearts and minds of people so they can see the outcome works. And, and with every step on that, you gain more and more confidence. You touched on Lean Canvas. Could you give us uh, and our listeners who may not be aware, just a, just a high level of what that is and what does that process entail? And who are typically the players? Uh, a, a Lean Canvas can be used to describe a whole business. If you're doing a startup, you could put a Lean Canvas in place, which looks at, at the opportunity on a single page, looks at things like the customer, the problem space, what's proposed, um, what possible revenue, um, some of the participants involved in that. So it's a really good way of getting that opportunity on one page. 
But we've started using that at a more granular level to look at some of the opportunities to qualify some of the opportunities uh, before we even start the, the development. There's loads of things we can do, but it's picking the right things that are going to bring that value. Okay, so it's, it's sort of like a business model canvas uh, adaptation from the traditional, like if you're building a business, you would do the business model canvas and now the, the lean canvas is a subset of that. And that's, that's what we're using for all initiatives uh, to make sure that it aligns with the strategy that we're trying to do. But importantly, anybody in the organization can actually bring these lean canvases uh, to be presented. So we've got a process in how that all flows. So what that does is the developer, the tester, they can come up with ideas and they can that they can put them through in the lean canvas. It's open. One, one important thing um, I always say to, to, to my team is sometimes, uh, and this, this comes from um, um, the, the Toyota model, sometimes the person putting the handle on the door of the car knows more about the handle on the door than the, than the flashy designer. So, so some really great ideas of how to do something differently or an opportunity can come from the from the ground, from the grassroots level. So anybody can submit a lean canvas into the process. I really like this because it, it, it speaks to collaboration, right? And Agile is all about communication and, and, and getting everybody discussing the problem so that we can get the best solution for, for the need, right? And um, I love that analogy with the Toyota model where even even the guy putting the handle on the door can pull the string and say, hey guys, we've got a fundamental problem here. We need to solve, solve everything. Let's solve it now. Um, I'm interested to know how that filters up the chain. Let's say, has there been a scenario where that's, where that's needed to happen in your space where uh, sort of like a fundamental flaw has been discovered sort of late stage and then needed to be bubbled right up to, to executive level to make a change to the requirements or the need? I mean, all, all our lean canvases do go into the exec as part of the steering committee. So all that visibility is there. Um, it's early days on it. There's quite a few canvases gone through. I won't say we've had uh, a very granular thing come through. We've had some great ideas, but it's it's grown. So I'm hoping more of them do come from the, from the grassroots level as well. Brilliant. And something we touched on prior to the recording was... Uh, we call it the you called it the pragmatic DAO or the, the let me get this right decentralized autonomous organizations right or pragmatic agile. I'm really interested to know more about this and if you could dive into some detail there for us. Yeah, this is this is something quite new. I've uh, connected with a few people around the world. We've, we're, we're a few founders uh, around this, and what we're trying to do is uh, as we're all kind of weathered <laughs> you know we've been through it we've seen it and organizations you'll have seen it as well organizations going through transformation after transformation and the transformations failing over and over again and you know they, they've got the transformation bike it's got a broken wheel they get on the bike it's got the broken wheel they fall off and then they try it again six months a year later they get on that same bike and try, try and go for it again and organizations are never really kind of learning and changing the approach that they, they, they take for transformation. So there's a group of us who are kind of quite weathered in this space and looking at, well, actually, how can organizations do something different? And it's 
it's more again to some of the things that we were talking earlier is really kind of empowering uh, some of the people at the grassroots rather than necessarily putting uh, tiers of hierarchy with inside an organization. So that's decentralizing some of the decision around, around the uh, transformation. So we're exploring this. We think there's a real opportunity here to do something different in organizations. It might be a little bit out there at the moment for large organizations, but we can see maybe startups that are going through that growth model or maybe um, larger organizations just want to try um, uh, some of their transformation in how they might think about doing that differently. And this is where we think uh, a DAO, a decentralized uh, autonomous organization could actually play into the space. Okay, and just for my idiot brain, to, over, to potentially risk oversimplifying the, the explanation here, but for me, the way that I see this is you're running a business, or you create a business that doesn't necessarily have people sitting together in the same company, in the same location, but they're experts in certain areas, and they've got fantastic skills to bring from their various careers and backgrounds, and potentially they work in existing organizations or not, but they're all working together to solve a specific need around another organization that they're all sort of part of separately yeah there's two there's two parts to this there's uh, absolutely there's the kind of the the consultancy model which is bringing them different because you know there's a lot of digital nomads now you know really kind of digital knowledge nomads around the world that you could actually connect through this for them to be able to uh, make decisions uh, uh, with inside the DAO but there's also the organization being able to run some of its own internal processes of transformation using that DAO as well. It, it, it's a brave step for some of the organizations, but I think things are going to change. Transformations have failed over and over again. They're going to see new ways of organizations working, nipping at their feet and, and disrupting them. So larger organizations will have to embrace this in the future. Right, I can see that being a tricky one to navigate, especially for the large organizations, for sure. It's early, it's early days, but I think it's a really interesting space and somebody's got to do it. And what kind of traction have you had in, in that space? So it, it's really early days where there's a, there's a group of uh, founders around this and um, we're going through the process of getting some funding and establishing exactly how this will operate because there's different arms to it. Um, but yes, uh, we, like I said, we're all weathered. We're all looking for something different. Um, and through that, I think there'll be um, something quite successful that comes out the other end. Brilliant. If we can go back to Trade Window for a moment, uh, you presumably hire a team of engineers. You guys have got uh, all sorts of skill sets within your organization. Can you tell us a little bit about the strata within Trade Window in terms of the, the skill set and the, the team that you've got? And sort of what's, what does the day-to-day -day look like on any given project? Yeah, so we've got quite a, a collective of, of different skills because we've got to be able to do um, blockchain. Uh, we're doing microservices, serverless. Uh, we've really, you know, we've really kind of embraced uh, some of the, the modern engineering patterns. We've even taken um, the um, microservices right up into the front end. So we've done micro front end as well. So this we've, we've really built for scale. Uh, it's it's build, having a startup, doing the 
doing the architecture, architecture just right and evolving that uh, to be so it becomes uh, an enterprise uh, architecture that can be uh, used by banks and larger organisations that will trust what we've actually actually done. So skills, there's serverless, there's AWS. We've got a lot of Java and Node, and we've embraced Python. Um, so uh, it's a diverse uh, set of skills, and that's why the chapter is really important to be able to connect these guys together so they don't feel that they're on their own. I see. And New Zealand, is, is it facing the same sort of skill shortage uh, that I think Australia is currently being uh, hit with? Or, or do you guys find it easy to hire for these skill sets? Oh, look, it's, it's worldwide. I'm speaking to people all over the world and it's just, it's just the same everywhere. Uh, I don't think there's any pockets to tap into at the moment. Um, it's a challenge. Um, and that's why, that's why it makes it so important in some of the things that you can offer the staff to be able to retain them. It's, it's, it's not just about the money. It's important. But it's not just about the money. If you can give them growth as well, and they stay with you for a few years, they grow with you, you get the benefits of that, then you've got to look for other things to differentiate yourself against uh, some of the larger organisations. But yeah, it's challenging out there. It really is. Everybody I speak to is saying the same thing. So we, we, we recently had an internal roundtable on the Agile CTO just talking about what it is that attracts uh, skilled you know, knowledge workers in tech space and what keeps them happy or what drives them away. And I think what we came down to was it's, it's, it's depending on your life stage, right? So everybody's got a different phase of their life where they're, they have certain needs. Sometimes in the early phases, it might be money. But later on, when you sort of meet your Maslow needs requirements, right, then it becomes about other things, right? And it's, it's, it's really interesting for me to hear what are those things that other organizations are doing to, in order to retain. So maybe, I don't know if you're, if you're happy to discuss, but what are some of those things that you guys do to retain or to, to invest in uh, great skilled workers? Yeah, look, I think retention is important. And I think, you know, the chapter is one of them. I think if you can keep them growing, then you like, you like the, the more likely to stay with you. Yeah, okay, they will grow and eventually they will leave the nest. But as long as you can keep them growing, then they're more likely to stay because they can see I'm, I'm actually progressing myself and not stagnating. And, and to that, the chapters help. But also, and I've got I've got a great CIO as well that works very closely with me. Um, we're very connected to the developers. We don't sit in any ivory tower. We're quite happy to go sit next to them or, or, or huddle the, the, the guys together, be it on Zoom at the moment, but we, we do that and get them together and, and, and get ideas flowing and give, give them opportunity to actually come forward with ideas rather than just mandate things to them or say this is how it's going to be. Encouraging them, saying it's a safe area. We want you to think. We want developers and engineers that actually can think. Uh, and a lot of the a lot of the staff have said a lot of the team saying that is one of the things that they really value. So you've got to look for them little things that just can differentiate you from a larger organization where somebody is just a cog in the machine. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, 
Simon Sinek-y vibes about that, right? So it's the that's sort of like the reverse hierarchy of um, servant leadership, right? So it's almost like you guys are are applying those principles and you're sort of getting the team involved to say like, oh, what do we need to do to get out of your way so that you can just do what you are skilled enough and obviously capable enough of doing, right? And how do we make sure that we don't tighten any any taps that might need to stay open in order for you to get your job done? And I think there's a there's a there's a, set, a certain amount of ego that has to be released, especially from a, an executive level. Uh, and it's really refreshing to see that, you know, you guys are doing that. And um, it's not always um, easy or possible in some areas. And um, but but what I think. Um, a lot of the problems that are faced in organizations like in the consultancy world specifically is how do you keep people growing, right? So yes, in a, in a product space, it's 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 quite easy. It's, it's, I say it's easier, right? Because consultancy, you're bouncing around different domains, different things. So it's it's the guys can learn a lot, but uh, the demanding the demand is quite high for um, billable time and just you know pushing really hard to get something out the door for the client. And I'm not saying that's not the case in the product space, but um, it's tricky for us to find ways to encourage that growth mindset on our internal team. And it's, uh, in some ways, I think it's an innate trait. You're either, you either are hungry to learn and continuously grow and learn in your career, um, or you're not, right? And I think uh, potentially that's, that's true. But there are things that can be done to encourage a growth mindset. And I'm interested to know maybe what are the things specifically that you guys do to kind of facilitate that growth mindset in your engineers? Yeah, absolutely. The the is people that just kind of want to come in and do their thing, and there's others that have got more of a growth mindset. But even even the guys that just want to come in and do their thing, I think if if they're in that kind of melting pot of everybody else trying to do it, then it rubs off. What like I say to the guys is a brown bag brown bag for five minutes on something you've read and learned or something you've tried even at home it's new 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 thing you've tried some code in that space or it's new kind of pattern or concept then come and 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 do a brown bag on it and what i say to them is not listening and knowing something is one thing telling somebody else is a whole different game because you have to really start to understand it, and and I say to them, look, it's safe. You don't you don't have to you know it don't have to be right wrong. Um, it, it's completely safe, and I want to encourage that so that the guys back to that word passion. That's what I want to spark in them. I want to spark passion, so they go away, they go home, they come, they're reading something, and they're coming back and they're saying, do you know what? I found out about this. I'm going to do a brown bag on brown bag on this, and I want to share this with the team. And I think if if others see that um, around them, then they'll start to um, rub off on them and they'll also start to participate in it. Right. And just for our listeners, I don't know what a brown bag is. It's effectively an internal uh, training session or a showcase or a show and tell kind of thing, right? It's a bit of a, an American kind of phrase, isn't it? Because you get the lunch in the brown bag and the whole idea is you'd run these sessions over lunchtime and you, you'd... You do it while you've got your sandwich in your hand and your brown bag. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. I love that because there's, there's, and I know this in myself, the only really way, the only real way to test whether I know something is whether I can explain it to somebody else and then they understand it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's a brilliant way to do that. Um, again, it, it's, it, people who participate in that, um, 
in the brown bag sessions uh, says a lot about the, 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 the mindset of the organization or the health around the, gro the growth mindset of the organization because you could have as many brown bag sessions as you like. But if one or two people out of, I don't know, 20 engineers join, that's, it's, it's maybe an indicator of uh, another failing somewhere else or a, a, a potential opportunity to try something different, to shake things up a little bit, to make sure that the, the engineers are doing what they need to do. But amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And um, Brennan, I'd love to talk about maybe one of your most recent uh, accomplishments, something that you're really proud of that's happened in the, the last couple of months or so. Oh, I think um, obviously the the listing of the company uh, the, the back end of last year that was that was you know from the whole uh, team from the all organization that was you know really great effort to be able to achieve that in three years from the start up is is pretty amazing uh, and and the blockchain company at that talk, talk me through that talk me through that journey. So how was the what was the emotional state of the business? What was the, the what was the atmosphere? What was the, the the feeling in the room, the buzz when when this was all happening at the end of last year? I mean the lead up to it was uh, you know it's it's not just about product, it's the whole uh, uh, exec team in there's an awful lot of compliance that has to be done to be able to publicly list. It's in, it's incredible what the team pulled off. To be able to achieve all the paperwork and process that has to be written, yeah, which a startup doesn't have to, you know, to start out. And as you grow, you have to mature all this to be able to uh, to be able to do that. Obviously, we've been through investment rounds, and that kind of matured us as well. Uh, and then finally, getting to listing was yeah it was quite a buzz for the for the whole business to be recognized that we can list right so in my mind i'm picturing the last scene of oceans 11 when they're all standing at the the fountain at the casino and they were sort of like we made it it's done we're happy like all of this effort and here's the reward right was it a moment like that or was it stress and blood and tears right until the minute no, I mean the the, the day it got listed. I mean the the, the CEO AJ even had a, a brass bell um, in the office, you know, for us for it to be to, to be wrong, and we had the 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 share price up on the up on the big screen. So it was yeah, it was an exciting time. Brilliant. So it was a celebratory Christmas for you guys. <laughs> just a bit, yeah. Excellent. I can just imagine how that must have been. Um, okay, and equally, what are you currently struggling with? What's the biggest worry? What's keeping you up at night? What are you thinking about in the shower? Oh, yeah, I think I think for me is is back to some of our earlier points is really is bringing the rest of the business on that agile journey, on that business agility journey, because that's that's where the really you take agile from engineering to be able to operate at a business level. So, so that's that's the thing that probably keeps me awake is how we can do that without disrupting the business is winning the hearts and minds of the rest of the business to come on the journey. Right. 
you know, it's it's such a common problem. I mean, it, I think even even if we're doing non you know not an adapted agile model that you guys are following, but in in the standard twelve principles, you know, four values. If we're just trying to get that right in in our teams, and it's it's difficult enough to get it right on a team level, right? Even when everybody buys into the philosophy and they all agree that it's the right thing to do, it's difficult to get it right. And now to scale that out and scale that up to not only your team but other teams that are working together on the same project or uh, the business that are driving the value and and the need, it's it's virtually impossible to get these things to align. And I think if you can get it right, if you can find a way to get this right from the top all the way down to, to the engineering teams, where they believe in the philosophy, they're driving the philosophy, they're not, they're not trying to undermine it in any way or have any other uh, you know, side agendas to kind of get things done quicker or faster. Or it's, it's, it's the holy grail for sure. Yeah. And, and look, it's a journey. It's a journey. And, uh, um, and it's not without challenges, uh, but it's going to be an interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've spoken about your work. We've spoken about a bit of your history. We've spoken about some of the challenges and the passions that you that you're, you're involved with professionally. Aside from that, what is your thing? What what uh, what kicks your tires? What gets you what gets you going? What's your passion outside of work or, or otherwise? Uh, I mean, I am a, a, a technologist. I love technology. I just absolutely love it. Um, but for me, music. Uh, that's my that's my escapism. So yeah, a little bit of. Ah, uh... oh, okay. Uh, keep bunch of keyboards. Okay, so you're an electronic artist. Uh, techno. So... Okay. <laughs> I think this is a topic for a podcast as well because um, I have a bit of a story about my previous life, and I won't get into it on this one. But it does involve music as well, and I think there is something about a technologist's brain and music production. I think there is something there because more often than not you speak to tech people they're into some sort of musical thing and and do you find that you've experienced that as well oh absolutely yeah there's there's quite a few people um even even where i work at the moment that are into into music um but yes and quite a few of the career that i've had and people i've worked with there's quite a lot that are into music don't know whether it's the escapism i need or the you know been attracted to um, uh, some of the technology involved in music. Yeah, you know, it also might be the thing, like you get to a point, I've gone through phases like this in my career, where you get to a point where it's like, oh, what can I do that is the polar opposite of my job? <laughs> and sometimes sometimes you get to those points, like I could, go, I could go carve boats in Hawaii, or I could produce music, and those are opposites to software development for sure. And maybe it's, a, it's looking for that escapism. Um, but where can we hear about your music? Where can we find some of your stuff? Oh, <laughs> yeah. We've got to get into this. Yeah, people have to dig that out or give too much away there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm presuming we've got some SoundCloud going on. Is there a Spotify account? I'm going to go Google. I'm going to go Google. Uh, <laughs> there is, and there's a little bit of YouTube, but I'll, I'll leave it up to, up to the listeners to try and find <laughs> Uh, we'll be sure to put it in our in our blog post and in the posts on all social media where we can find you. Awesome, Brandon, that's great. And uh, so you say techno is your thing. What's sort of your tempo? Uh, tempo. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, it can vary, but I do like some of the kind of hard and fast and dark uh, techno. So. Okay. Okay. All right. Bit of a hard style, or is that a dirty word for you? A hard house. 
Uh, not hard house. Uh, more kind of minimalist and uh, and dark. Okay. Yeah, so just okay. really booming beats and uh, yeah, sparse sounds. Ah, fantastic. All right, and then to finish us off today, I think we're going to get into what we like to call the quick fire round. Um, try to keep you on your toes. Uh, feel free to answer as long as you'd like, but let's try and keep it uh, as short as possible, or at least uh, to at least you're thinking about the answer as short as possible. So I'll start off. What is your um, latest must-read or listen or watch that you're currently listening to, and why? And, and why should our listeners be interested in that? Oh, uh, recently a lot on DAOs. Um, I'm not moving. I'm not into movies. I just haven't got time. It's uh, it's it's always uh, 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 technology. So yeah, just reading a lot on, on DAOs at the moment. Okay. Okay. Any anything specific? Any book or, or YouTube channel or uh, podcast or anything that our listeners can be pointed at? Oh, ooh, you got me on the spot there. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We'll 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 put it in the blog post. You can ping me after. Yeah, I'll, I'll put I'll put a few on there on on the blog post. Yeah. All right. Um. Okay. And right now in your life, who's your most professionally influential person, and why? Oh, and, and, and another uh, kind of uh, uh, difficult one. Um, look, um, it's, oh, yeah, um, I'd, I, look, I think, I, I think it's probably a person from history, okay, rather than somebody being here and now, and, and, and that was, uh, Isambard by Kingdom Brunel. And um, uh, just one thing around that was he was building a bridge and they needed to get the wire across the bridge. And he went in the, he went in the basket to get across the bridge to start building the bridge. And that from leadership is, was just something that kind of, um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, leading from the front, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Are you aware of an opinion that others may have about you that you find particularly frustrating? Oh, yeah. I, I know um, uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I can be uh, probably uh, a little bit forceful. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, so that's probably what others would say about me. That's probably just the uh, the energy to to get things done. Right, so a bit of a whip cracker. And not not so much that, more uh, to to uh, uh, drive to the uh, uh, decision. Okay, okay. And then, what is your most controversial opinion? Oh, um, I, I had. Probably, that's a really, really good question. Um, probably how, um, I, I think, looking at the background I kind of come from, I, I think, that, um, I don't, I, I think the underdogs and it's very, a lot of people are successful, uh, are usually because the families they come from. And, and I think, the most controversial thing is, yeah, I think the opportunity is not—it's not a fair start for everybody in life, and uh, and that's a personal beef of mine. I think there's a lot of 
talent that goes missed uh, and opportunity for people just from the family they're born into or where they come from. Yeah, uh, I personally don't think that's too controversial, but but I, I tend to agree with you, right? I think it's um, opportunity and working hard does not always result in success, right? And it definitely does come from connections, uh, uh, previous uh, family privilege, connect, uh, the, 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 the network that's around you and uh, the, the people that you've, that you've uh, accidentally fallen into surrounding yourself with, right? Either through, you know, birth or otherwise. So I take your point and I think um, if, if people like you who are in a position to provide opportunities and, and be able to bring people up to have these opportunities to grow and be successful, if you're aware of that, that's already a great step in the right direction. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so then last question, what are you currently procrastinating over? What am I procrastinating over? Is um, back to our earlier point is how do I get better understanding uh, across the exec and the rest of the business to get to that that pull model? So that's that's the thing that's going over my mind is how 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 do I achieve that? How do I really get the hearts and minds of uh, the rest of the business behind this? Right. So to put you on the spot then. Um, if we know that getting the right solution is an iterative process, what is the first step to getting that uh, result for you? What is it that you need to do today, tomorrow, in order to take that step to your goal? I think, and it's back to iteration, you know. Um, so if you can iterate and show value, rather than trying to do the big thing, um, then you can slowly win their hearts and minds through them iterations. So that's kind of applying the the agile to winning the hearts and minds by too agile. So so it's just iterating over that, showing that there is some value, and and slowly then kind of winning their hearts and minds without them actually really knowing that you're winning their hearts and minds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, if you can make it their idea, even better. <laughs> Uh, brilliant um, Brendan well that brings us to the end of our episode and I just want to say thank you very very much for making the time so late in the evening in New Zealand to join us it's probably now 8pm there or roughly thereabouts um, so thank you so much and where can our listeners find you online where can they look you up if they wanted to um, ask you any questions or follow up on or get involved with what you're doing yeah LinkedIn's a great reach out uh, to me on LinkedIn um, ask me questions uh, chat if you're in New Zealand, ask for a coffee. Um, yeah, please reach out and I'll send the link guy. All right, fantastic. At Hayfully Software, we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't. Dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons, from lack of skills to barriers and culture, from politics to process, from silos to egos. Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Agile CTO. 
To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.